Since 1992, Genesis House has been helping real people heal from addiction on their private recovery campus in beautiful Palm Beach County, Florida. Their family-owned program is accredited by the Joint Commission and offers detox and dual diagnosis treatment in a comfortable and confidential setting. At Genesis House, they focus on treating the underlying causes of addiction. Their comprehensive approach includes psychiatric care, individual and small group therapy, trauma healing techniques, and holistic care including yoga, massage, and animal-assisted therapy. After treatment, their clients enjoy the lifelong support of a nationwide network of Genesis House alumni. Call Genesis House today at 1-800-737-0933 to speak with someone who understands. Visit them on the web at www.genesishouse.net. It's time to start your journey to a long and successful recovery. Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast is brought to you by the Friends in Recovery community, a thriving network of individuals who are fighting back against the stigma of addiction. Join our hosts as they speak up about the real issues of addiction, treatment, and recovery. Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, here are your friends in recovery. Hey guys, Jersey Ed here, and welcome to the Friends in Recovery podcast. And I'm here with COVID today and Skylar, Noontime with Sky and Tiff, and our special guest, Jeff Zazel. We'll get to him in a minute. But yes, I did say COVID, guys. My family is locked up in our house in Cape May with COVID, and it's not fun. But guys, I didn't get the I didn't get the the bad COVID. I got the good COVID. I guess it's a new <laughs> Abercrom, whatever is a Abercrombie and Finch fucking one I got. Yeah, that's the one I got. So right. um, I got a really I got just kind of a, a a head cold here. But I'm gonna power through it. And the reason why I came on today, I I could have just laid down and kind of let these guys do it. The real reason I came on it because I wanted to see Jeff. That's why. But <laughs> love you too, man. <laughs> but uh, but you know what? Even even in my worst of times, I probably would be thinking. Maybe I wouldn't be using feeling like this, but I would definitely be thinking or what I'm going to get better or take a little bit more Theraflu to go use. You know what I mean? So um, and this brings me to and and this brings me to the beginning reading of our friends in recovery. Um, uh, meetings. It says, welcome to the Friends and Recovery virtual support meeting sponsored by Genesis House. We hope that this helps you stay on track in your recovery and combat feelings of isolation in these uncertain times. This is the part. Recovery always must come first, even if we're sick or can't leave the house. Mm-hmm. That's very important to me. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I just wanted to let everybody know I'm a little nasally because I do have the COVID and, and the whole family does. But um but we'll talk about that a little bit more. And when we bring Jeff in, um, we're going to take a clinical look at step one because we are talking about step one this whole month. And if you missed our our meeting on last Monday, you can. This is something completely new, guys. You can go to um, our YouTube channel, Friends of Recovery Podcast. Just Google it on YouTube. You'll pull us up, and then you'll get Rich the Step Guy in the playlist, and he he went over it in detail on our steps that we did, our step one on Monday. So if you want to get a detailed kind of um, uh, look at the steps, go go to our, our playlist on, on our, our, our YouTube channel and uh, you'll you'll get um, you'll kind of see what, where we're at with all that. Um, and my and I do have some kind of brain fog going on. I'm not it's like <laughs> God, I'm like trying to write my notes down and I'm trying to like kind of get going here. but on that, I'm going to turn it over to Tiff to tell us all about our meetings that I was just talking about and where you can find them and all that good stuff. All right. Thanks, Ed. Hi, guys. It's Tiffany P. Uh, here in 20 Below, Minnesota. Uh, but I am warm and cozy in the house. And just like Ed said, recovery must always come first. And thank God for Zoom. Uh, because when we are sick or can't leave the house, we can still go to meetings. And Friends in Recovery offers twice daily meetings. So two times a day, guys, at both noon and uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, So here are the things that we have. We have speaker meetings. 
We have step meetings. We have living clean meetings. We have topic discussion, literature discussion, the big book study, which I am impartial to because that's my meeting, not my meeting, but it is on Sundays and I do lead it. It's not mine. It's yours. But uh, big book study on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Alumni and Friends, which is an awesome group of uh, fellowship from both the alumni at Genesis House as well as Friends in Recovery friends. Um, that's at 8 p.m. Standard, Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday nights. And then we have our meditation group, our loved one groups, which is on Monday nights at 8 p.m. And we have adventure plannings and more. So see um, one of us, of course, by asking and commenting below in the YouTube uh, on YouTube or anywhere, and we can get more meeting lists out to you. Or you can always find them at Genesis House dot net under connections until we get our friends and recovery uh website going which you will be able to click live meetings all the time and be able to get to somebody so um that's it back to you ed thanks there tiff and i think scott is going to give us a quick little update on all of our social media stuff how you can stay in touch with us and in tune with what's going on and and all that yeah, if you, if you miss one of the meetings, if it's past seven or <laughs> one of the times of the Friends of Recovery meetings, you can get on our Facebook. We have social media. So um, the cool thing about that is we have a Friends of Recovery group. So you go to the um, Genesis House page, you like that page, and, and there there's groups. There's a Friends of Recovery group. There is a Friends of Recovery Adventures group. And then there's an alumni group. Um, all of them are private. So like, it's really cool because we can all like, you know, post stuff in there. Um, I lost a friend when I was going through it. I, I posted in there how much I was struggling and people were encouraging and were there for me. So if, if it's not time for a meeting and you can't find a meeting, I'm sure there's somebody on Facebook. Everybody's always on Facebook. So yeah. find us at Genesis House Facebook page, like our groups. And then we're also on Instagram, Podbean, iTunes. Um, and then uh, I think that's, and that's all we're on for, right for the different platforms. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You Instagram and, then, and Facebook, yeah. Yep. And then I just wanted to, uh, real quick, uh, if you guys are interested in um, doing some quick little service that goes a long way when you guys are in treatment. Um, it's super awesome to get mail and some people don't get mail cause we, we're, we burn all the bridges before we get there. So if you guys have time today, write a quick five minute <laughs> card down and dear fellow recovering addict and send it in the Genesis house. Um, and we call it the pen friend program. Um, we'll put the address in the, in the, uh, in below and you can send it in and it's Absolutely. just a small act of service that goes a long way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's awesome. It's so nice. cool. That pen yeah. friends group. Yeah. Tip, you still send pen friends out to Genesis yes, House, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Both Guy and I do. Um, and I encourage people on many meetings, especially when we're talking about service in meetings and people have questions on how to do service now, especially yes. uh, with Zoom. You know, we're not, mm -hmm. you know, clearing out ashtrays and making coffee anymore. So um, I, I always say, I always put out there the pen friends group because it's a Good. great way for my recovery to write a quick note and get something off my chest. Talk about yeah. my recovery. Send it out. I feel good about it. And uh, someone on the other end is receiving it. And I've I've gotten lots of shout outs and um, uh, letters back from me too. I've gotten and I wanted to yeah. cry when I got yeah, <laughs> like that to so me. Cool. When someone so wrote me back, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I recently special. wrote Ed a letter. <laughs> we don't want to go into that. That that's for another bucks. show. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we do have a rated explicive for this show, so you can talk whatever you want. So, <laughs> thanks, guys, and and that's really important. And you can you know, look at the notes for more of this information. You know, we like to give you a lot of this information at the beginning of the show because it's really important um, to do this stuff, to get involved in this stuff. Like I said, you know, I'm I'm stuck in the house with COVID, and I still have to worry about my recovery. I still have to maintain it. All these years later, it doesn't matter. I still have to maintain my recovery. And that's why I wanted Jeff on today, Jeff Zazel, uh, <coughs> excuse me, to take a clinical look at um, step one. And, you know, early, in my early recovery, um, I did a lot of outpatient. And if it wasn't for the clinical approach and the AA hand in hand, I don't think I'd be where I'm at today. It was, it was really important. Now, I didn't do IOP or PHP. I did one-on-one, -on -one, two times a week with a, a group. 
Um, so I did really th like three different three hours a week. Um, it's a little, it was a little different back then, but it's really it was really important for me to to sit down with my therapist to tell my deep dark secrets because I couldn't even imagine telling another human being out there like you know a sponsor. You know I wasn't ready to tell a sponsor my my deep dark secrets. I knew I was safe in that confines of the uh, the office. And if you look at Jeff, all those um, degrees on on the back there, it made me comfortable. You know, it really mm -hmm. did that I could I could talk about things that I might not talk about, then get me ready for the real world. Because my therapist wasn't my sponsor, but he really did get me ready for the next step for the real world. And yeah. that's why I really wanted to talk about the clinical piece of step one. Um, and uh, I, I, I just want to read this. It's called Inside uh, Step One. It's from Hazleton and uh, Nikki uh, R on one of our meetings on Thursdays. Uh, they do Mental Health Thursdays. She uh, had this article. So if you get a chance, look it up. I'm just going to read a, a quick verse from it. But Inside Step One by Hazleton, by, uh, it was uh, written by Jeff J. Um, but Step One doesn't say people are powerless. It doesn't say that they can't take charge of their lives or they don't have to, they don't have, they don't have the ability to change. Quite the opposite. What step one does is unlock, a, unlocks a great paradox. And I think that's what therapists can do. I think the therapist can have us understand that and see that there's a little bit more than, you know, than just um, turning, uh, you know, just, just kind of giving up everything. And the therapist can guide us in that direction saying, well, you don't have to be powerless over everything, you know, and, and that that's where the clinical piece, I think for me was so important. And that's why I want to bring Jeff in. And, and I know Jeff, you have something, you, you probably prepared something because I know you, you're, you're very prepared and probably some kind of screen thing going to go on here or whatever. Well, the podcast but. is right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you thought this was just a get, get together. So. I, just, I, I thought it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's my 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 thought and perspectives on it and i just want to bring you in jeff so you can kind of give us that version of what you see on the other side yeah thanks ed so it, it really is a great subject to discuss and i think what you have read from hazelton i always think of step one what a paradox because when you realize that you are powerless you actually gain control and power over many aspects of your life not everything. So, you know, and I love the steps. You know, I'm I'm not a person in recovery. I don't have an addictive disorder, but I grew up in a family where my dad was alcoholic. So I remember growing up and just thinking he was crazy. Like, oh yeah, he drinks, but he's just crazy. And my mother would take my identical twin brother and I, force us to go to like an Alateen meeting. And mm -hmm. and interesting enough, so I'm a clinical social worker, my twin brother, Paul, he's a forensic psychologist, probably not coincidental that we ended up in the helping professions because you grew up in a dysfunctional family. It's so common. So, you know, the number one profession that women who grew up in a dysfunctional family becomes is like nurses or teachers, you know, they become helpers. Mm -hmm. Men, you know, the data is a little skewed, but, you know, my brother and I, you know, here we are, we're, we're in the mental health business. So, so there, it, it is remarkable how when you realize you have no control, you actually gain the element of control. And the, you know, at the end of the day, though, when we really ask ourselves in our lives and, and you know, Ed, you had said some really great things about how the, you know, the sanctity of the therapy office, you can really lay it all out. You can talk mm -hmm. to people and, you know, the, the most effective therapy is when you like the clinician. You know, it doesn't matter what training they have, social worker, psychologist, psychiatrist, recovery coach, pastoral counselor, different schools of thought, Gestalt, Freudian, you know, humanistic, analytic, you know, Rogerian, experimental, et cetera. None of those things matter. You know, there may be personal choices and you prefer a particular person. Like sometimes, you know, as a clinician, I apply to get on these panels and they, they say, what's your approach? Are you a Christian Christian counselor, et cetera? So, you, you know, I would say clinical social worker with an interest in addiction, expertise in addiction. So, but the interesting thing is that it's the relationship. So you like the person, you're going to get better faster. You don't like the person, that actually is a problem. So those of you who are listening in and watching, you know, ask yourself, do I have a good connection with this person? 
unfortunately, this time of COVID out there, it's really hard to get clinicians. So maybe the person who's not your ideal person, stay with them until you have an alternative because you can say, hey, you're not listening to the podcast. I don't really like this person. I'm going to find someone else. And then guess what? You're not going to find anyone mm-hmm. because it's really challenging. However, those things are also appropriate to t- discuss in treatment. Just like, you know, I would say there's no really subjects that are off, you know, off limits. We can talk about whatever we need to talk about. But the role of the therapist is sort of guide the, the person in recovery to help them educate them and help them understand and be non-judgmental and, and empathic. That's why step one is so great because there's no judgment. You know, it's like, you know, for, and we know that people who are recovering from addictive disorders, they feel so bad already. So even like a funny look or a sarcastic comment or something can really be misinterpreted or it's not sarcasm, but they think it's sarcasm. Mm-hmm. In fact, I often hold this up when I'm in treatment. Sarcasm, just one of the many services I offer. So, uh, <laughs> but the, but you know, it's interesting because I think you have a good relationship. You can open up and you can discuss these things. But at the end of the day, when we ask ourselves in our lives, what do we have control over? Very little, very, very little. And True. But we do have control over how we think and our attitudes and our decisions mm-hmm. and how we're going to respond to things. So I may not have control over being stuck in traffic, but I have a control over my reaction to being stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. Tiffany, you had said it's 20 degrees below zero in Minnesota. That's brutal. It's, it's horrific. And many people would say, oh, my God, I have no control of the weather. Of course, you do not. But you have control over how to dress warmly. You have control over staying in a warm environment. You have mm. control over, you know, challenging yourself. So instead of thinking like, oh, this is horrific, it actually, you know, one of the reasons why people like to live in cold weather, because many people can't, you feel special, like I'm a little tougher than the next guy. You know, <laughs> it's how you look at it. You know, I mean, don't you, would you rather have being on this podcast, Tiffany, would you rather have it being like 25 degrees? Big deal or 20 below. Of course, 20 below. It's right. like a, it's it's like a tipping point. Like not everyone can deal with this. Yeah. Special people live in Minnesota. Special people <laughs> work their recovery. You know, like it's a badge of honor. So yeah. you know, there are many things in life that we may be ashamed of and we don't talk about it. But when someone's in recovery, they're so proud. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're using, you're ashamed. Mm-hmm. When you're in recovery, you're proud. Mm-hmm. So you have a choice of like Jeff. Yeah. Um, you're bringing up shame a lot. And uh, that is one that's that's a that's a big part. Of, uh, step one. We didn't even read step one. Step one. Uh, we admitted we we're powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. That brings up a lot of guilt, shame and remorse, especially with our thinking. You said, you know, we can't control our thinking. But that guilt, shame and remorse comes in because, oh, my God, you know, I did all these bad things. I I stole my family's money. I did things I shouldn't have done. Um, you know, I went to places I shouldn't be. Um, what does that look like as far as um, trying to get over that? And, and how, how, how in step one can we, uh, you know, know that we're powerless over it, but also be empowered by that? So that, that's a, a great question. So we know that, you know, one of the sort of the pathologies, shall we say, that goes with being a, a person who abuses substances, you end up doing some behaviors you're not proud of. It's part of the disease. So I always remind people, don't judge that person. They can't help themselves. You know, it's sort of like someone who has a seizure disorder. It's not their fault. You know, someone has a brain injury. It's not their fault. Mm-hmm. So, but sometimes we don't know that. So, you know, someone who is using and, and uh, you know, struggling, you know, you, you have, there's, you got to peel it back a little. What gets them to that point? Why are they using? So they're using because they're in pain. So mm-hmm. we know that 70 to probably 75% of people who get addicted to substances have an underlying problem with depression and or anxiety. And they use to self-medicate because it makes them feel better. So who can blame anyone for wanting to feel better? The difficulty is that the act of trying to feel better causes a host of other problems. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time, but it does create a whole range of problems because mm-hmm. you know it's a slippery slope. So then they start feeling bad. They start lying. They start having you know unhealthy behaviors. And subsequently, there's all this shame. And now they're really struggling. And then, of course, there's the, the, the psychological element of just feeling so down and depressed. You, have, you can't 
think of how you can get out of it. Yeah. That's why families have to be so supportive and helpful and, and, and also not enable, you know, like we love you. We care about you. We want you to get well mm-hmm. and we can understand the disease, but we need you to participate in getting, you know, getting well. Mm-hmm. And the families can only do so much because at the end of the day, the person has to embrace it. The person has to be willing to let go. So a lot of times they need to be educated because they don't know what they don't know. So that's why like friends in recovery and, you know, someone who like is out there listening to this can bring a friend. Hey, just listen to these people. They've all been there. They get it. Mm. They understand. They're not judging you because they don't want to be judged either. And they've been Mm -hmm. in pain. Mm -hmm. So the people have the most empathy of the people who've been on that side as well. You know, one of the reasons I like working with addicted people, first of all, there's so much fun, number one. And, (laughs) And number two, there's a pretty clear path of what you have to do to get well. I mean, like, in the many, many arenas of mental health, the path is not so clear. There are many, many things you can do. And also, that was my father. You know, he got well. He went to AA. And I, he would ask me to go to meetings sometimes because he was getting a chip or when he had 30 years. I was like, I was proud to be there. I was proud of him. You know, I thought it was great. Yeah. And they were really cool people. They're really interesting people. So the uh, so we know that, you know, shame is, is the baggage they they live with but they need to forgive themselves. So they have to be able to move on and forgive themselves. And it's important that they forgive themselves. Mm-hmm. Ideally, it'd be great if others forgive them. But as we talk about control, we do not have control over whether other people mm-hmm. will forgive us. Sure. We only have control of our own behavior and our actions and, and our words. Mm-hmm. So we can ask for forgiveness, we can make amends, but the shame is so high. And, and I think that step one sort of takes the heat off a little. You know, it's, I remember talking to my father in early recovery. I said, do you feel guilty about the things you've done? Because it wasn't mm-hmm. easy. No. And I was actually really looking for an apology. But uh, <laughs> he, he said, no, it's a disease. Oh, geez. I probably should have been more straightforward than I think. So, Just apologize, uh, Dad. <laughs> but I like that you said that. I like that you said that this, it's, it's all part of the disease. I didn't understand that when I was at at step one, I didn't understand, you know, in the, I had a lot of fears. I like that you said that, uh, when looking for a therapist, it's, it's key to have the right person Mm. because the first therapist I had was not the right person. Mm. It actually took me backwards. It it did. Mm. Um, and so I didn't know until, so I hope that people are listening to this. Like you said, uh, I didn't know that I had the, the power of choice. Like you said, I do have some power of choice over who I'm going to meet with, right? Mm-hmm. And finding the right person. And I have the ability to look for somebody different. And I did look for someone different after someone told me that, that, you know, you can fire your therapist, you know? <laughs> uh, and the therapist actually told me that, you know? And uh, when I found the right person, I opened up a whole can of whoop ass. Like, and I'm really fun, right? Um, because, you know, I do, I, I have complex PTSD. I still do. I still do, right? But in early recovery, I had that right person. I was able to find that right person to start sharing things with. She taught me that the things were part of the disease, you know, that that guilt and shame and those things that I were I was doing uh, we're all part of the disease and yeah. it helped me open up because that made me feel like she understood me and it made me feel a lot less fearful. I still was afraid, but she made me feel better. So thanks for bringing that up, Jeff. And you also took a risk. You were willing to put yourself out there. That's hard to do, but you mm-hmm. know, in life, when you take risks, there's a reward. So, uh, so, you know, I have three sons and the, the wonderful young men and great people. And I, try to like educate them. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're very enlightened. And one time I said to them, you know, there's a foolproof way never to get turned down by trying to ask the most beautiful girl in the room. Really dead. What's that foolproof way? Don't ask her out. So uh, <laughs> you never get turned down. So, you know, you have to take a chance. You have to be willing to put yourself out there. And you also have to understand that sometimes it doesn't always go your way. So, you know, I, I know Ed does some uh, life coaching and he had, there was a book, I forgot the name of it, but it was something about like how adversity is a gift. Mm-hmm. That when you suffer and you have pain, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry you have complex PTSD, but sometimes there's some takeaways that make us better people. Yes, know? and so, I know that now because yeah. I've learned that, right? She taught me that and it, it has made me a better person. 
Um, and I'm glad that she gave me that takeaway. Um, because I do think that, like you said, adversity gives us a lot of, uh, of things in our life that we wouldn't have had before. Um, you know, I've learned through her that yes, AA, I know that AA for me is not a cure, but for my mental illness, it's not a cure, but together with a therapist, Mm. it is definitely what I need. It's Mm. definitely what I need. Um, and it is it just really catapulted me, my, my personal uh, growth into the next level. I, you know, it's just been crazy. The growth, the, the, the combination of the two, mm-hmm. having it, that clear cut path and a therapist. It, and Jeff, it also sounds like. Jeff, I, I, oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Ed. No, I just want to well, say that Tiffany, Tiffany's worked really hard to get there. So it doesn't happen without hard work. You no. Know, all the, the important things in life take time and they're yeah. hard. So yeah. what, you know, how yeah. is it that some people feel good about themselves? Because they work yeah. hard. Do you yeah. feel good about like taking the trash out on trash night? Not really. Do you feel <laughs> good about like training for the, the marathon, Ed, that you run or working in recovery or yeah. going back to school or, you know, writing a book or whatever those challenges are? The harder the task, the bigger the payoff, the sweeter <laughs> the reward. And yeah. I would yeah. say in life, give me hard any day. I'd rather have hard things. I don't want yeah. easy things. Yeah, but the I, reward my is- life. The reward is so great once you yeah. get to the other side, like our recovery. Like, you know, I remember I remember sitting in a room here and somebody say, I got a year. I'm like, holy shit, I can't even get through a day, you know, let alone a year. <laughs> yeah. Then I got, I got a year. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy has five years. Now I got five years. Oh, my God, this guy has 10 years. So it just keeps that 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 risk and reward um, keeps pushing us over, you know, further and further. And, and, you know, like you said, training for the marathon. Do I want to get up at five o'clock in the morning, throw running shoes on and figure out what, you know, what to wear and, and you know, in a cold, in a warm, whatever it is, and do all this before my day starts? No. But when it comes to race day and I'm standing on that on that start line and I know I can finish the 26.2 miles, I look back and I say, it was all worth it. Same thing with recovery. One thing, Jeff, you always say, and I'm just going to bring us back a little bit, fall down seven, get up eight. And that's what Tiffany was talking mm-hmm. about. It's okay not to, uh, and believe it or not, that's a biblical term. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Yeah. That's a biblical term. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm wrong, comment below, let us know. And, and if, if you guys agree with some of this stuff, please comment below and, and let us know. Um, and also you can email us at friends. Uh, help at friends recoverypodcast.com um, and send us an email about it, whatever. But full down seven, get up. Therapist, eight. though, it's so huge, though, because you guys are talking about taking a risk, but I've had therapists use empowerment to help me get to that risk because mm-hmm. there I trusted my therapist more than I trusted a sponsor at first, I guess, because the whole HIPAA thing and, you know, I'm paying to be yeah. there, you know, right. whatever it may be. I felt like a trust there. And um, then my therapist kept saying, well, Skylar, you got to open up to them so they can help you. Did it, you know, and, and before I knew it, it was helping me. Um, I was struggling with a lot of like, um, and you know what the trash, I would lo- I would pay off taking that off because I know taking it out because I know that there's been times in depression. I've sat there and not let the trash <laughs> go out. For yeah. 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 That so that's, great when I'm coming out of depression. Yeah. <laughs> when you're depressed, but, getting dressed is hard. Yes, yes, it yes. really is washing everything. So, you know, like you said, but the risk, you know, I was struggling with toxic relationships and my therapist kept saying, go to SLAA. And I'm like, sex and love addicts anonymous. I'm not like, I'm thinking I'm going to go there and they're going to be talking about anal. I'm just going to be honest. That's what I thought. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I went there and it was a bunch of women that had like love issues. And I'm like, and I fit right in. And like, I yes. was like, wow, but it took me six months for him to encourage me to, to do that. And then I finally called my cousin that had been to him before and asked her to go with me. Like, you know, so it really started something that I didn't see in the beginning and it took time, six months of every week going there for him to have to recommend it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so it, it's super important. I think that like we have therapists because the empowerment they gave, they gave me personally, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You know, the, one of the interesting things is that if we think about step one, it's really about coming to terms with where you're at. Like, I am powerless. I can't do this anymore. It, it gives you permission. It's such a powerful, paradoxical thing because the ability to say, I can't do it, then opens up other things mm-hmm. that you can do. So mm-hmm. because if we say you're powerless over everything, well, then I'm powerless over my recovery. No, you are actually empowered in recovery. You're powerless over the illness. So you want to get well, you hang on to the things you have control of. And it may be very little. It may be 
I just have to go to a meeting. Maybe that's the only control I have. Maybe it's I go to a podcast, you know, listen to the podcast. Maybe it's I hang out with positive people. I go to, you know, church or I opt to go into treatment or speak to a clinician. You know, there are many things we have no control over, but, you know, conversely, there are some things we do. I would say the world is full of things I have zero control, Mm -hmm. but there are some things I have control over. Mm -hmm. I can choose what I'm going to wear today. Right. Actually, I was looking for a different shirt. It was in the wash. So forget that. <laughs> I was looking for the shirt yeah. I had on. So. Yeah, but, um, but there are some this... things. <laughs> hey, that's a nice shirt, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Um, in this article, um, Inside Step One by Jeff Jay, it also, and, and Jeff, this ties into what you're saying. We're powerless over the effect of the chemical or the behavior it has on us. We're not going to get a good drinking or drugging. We're not going to get more. Uh, rational about it. We're going to get better and we're not going to get better at controlling it. We've tried a hundred different times to control it. So basically um, we, we can't control our drinking and drugging. That's what step one is telling us. And what Jeff you're saying is, says it, and it says earlier in the article that, um, that uh, we admit we're powerless over alcohol. It doesn't say we're powerless over our choices or, over our lives or over our relationships with other people. It says we're powerless over alcohol and that limit in that limiting phrase that tightens the focus on the drug and on the drug and it's critical. So, um, so that that's a lot of things that people don't understand. Like, okay, so when I come in, I think we talked about this last week on the show, when I come into the meet and come into the rooms, I just got to be powerless over everything. I have to lay down like a dog and just give up. That's not true. No, not that's at all. Not true. You yeah. know, I, I, uh, I heard a phrase uh, on a, from a speaker the other day that said, if you have control, have to control it, you are out of control. Mm-hmm. If you have to control it, then you're out of control. So true. And that really resonated with me because that's where I was at. You know, mm-hmm. I had that all or nothing thinking like, oh, I got to control it, you know, everything, you know, and my whole life was out of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, my alcoholism, my drug addictions were out of control. Um, but I love, um, like you said that I, cause that, that word powerless was really hard for me to get over really hard for me. Cause I kept thinking powerless, powerless, right? Like you said, Ed, like lay down like a dog. Yeah, right. Yeah. But w- working with the therapist, working with the sponsor, uh, going to meetings, learning that, like you said, Jeff, I get to take, take charge of my life, right? The promises say, you know, that I, I'm going to have get so many things, gain so many things, you know, through, through letting go of drugs and alcohol, but I can, can, can gain control of many aspects of my life, like my attitudes, my reactions that comes from the, don't be a dick. Mm-hmm. That's what we were talking about last yeah. week. Don't be a dick. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. I have the power to control my attitude, my reaction to the traffic, you know, things like that. Um, yeah. So, I, but well, if, therapist if, was if, key. Yeah. If we look at step one, it says uh, we're powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. So we have to admit that we're powerless over alcohol. If you're going to admit that you're powerless over alcohol, you're not powerless over your whole life. Think about it. I have to physically admit that I'm powerless over alcohol. So I'm not completely giving up my control, but I think in the big book somewhere, it says the process of admission, we have a psychological change. Mm -hmm. So in that, right. In that admitting um, something happens and Jeff, maybe you can explain it in, in that admitting that we're powerless over alcohol, powerless over the drug, powerless over sex, uh, boo, uh, gambling, whatever it is. What is that, that change that we get that psychological change? So, so I mean, it's such a powerful concept because what we're really saying is that the things that we do when we take this drug and this substance, alcohol, other drugs, et cetera, it controls us. We lose the ability to control ourselves, but if we don't, take these substances, we empower ourselves to then have a type of control over other things. And the, and it sort of takes you off the hook. It's like, I don't have to worry so much. I just have to live my life. So we know, for example, that addiction is a brain disorder, it controls how you function, how you think, all these things you do. And we also know that if a person with an obsessive compulsive disorder is constantly thinking of this particular behavior, let's just say hand-washing, and they're mm. constantly uh, concerned about germs and so on, and they, uh, and they always want to wash their hands. 
there were some studies done that if you can actually get the person to shut that concept off, shut that those thoughts off for 90 seconds, it actually goes away. And wow. that's the same thing we're saying in step one. Coming to terms with the fact that I'm powerless over it, it actually takes it off the table. I don't have to worry about it. And you also, you can say, well, if it happens, I guess it happens. You know, when I see patients, you know, a lot of therapy and, and recovery is that philosophy of life. You know, I, like I look at the steps as a philosophy of life, and I think they're fantastic, even though, you, you know, they're really aligned with uh, people in recovery. They're useful for every aspect, you know, and I tell people, you should read the steps. I'm not an alcoholic. I know. Read them anyway. They're really fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for example, you know, I mean, we, we have to get into all the other steps, but, you know, you're not going to tell someone the truth if it's going to hurt them and there's no upside, you know, so uh right. So the, there's so many things we can do. And we also know that the, 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 the onus of control of our choices we make helps us move forward. So, you, you know, I was sometimes laugh. I'll see people who will, uh, will, you know, like with COVID, we blame COVID on everything. Oh, I forgot to, uh, you know, book the appointment with my dentist. Oh, it's COVID. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, Ed's wearing a bathroom, really That's not a shirt. True. It's COVID. <laughs> By the way, and that really looks like a bathroom. So, uh, <laughs> I'm really in a bathroom. I guess. Just blame COVID, Ed. So, uh, <laughs> I'm in my bathroom. So, I've got COVID. I'm sick. <laughs> there's but, a but, there's a group that's called Boozers in Bathrobes, yeah. and they wear their bathrobes. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Did you have a bathroom. cigarette hanging up the lid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, 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 uh, the, the interesting thing, though, you know, as we talk about the, you know, taking responsibility, you know, Sometimes I laugh because someone will come in like, well, that's my disease talk. And I said, not exactly. You're hiding behind your disease. You're, that's manipulation. Mm. You're like, yeah. own your disease, own your recovery. They converge, they separate. Sometimes they come back. Stay in your lane. Follow the program. That's why I like working with, you know, recovery people because follow the steps. You're going to get better. Mm-hmm. And with therapy and people who understand it and non-judgmental and maybe some medication when appropriate, it really helps. We know that people who, for example, who are depressed and have talk therapy and medication, 80% of them get better right, right out of the gate. So, uh, and it's a beautiful thing. So, you know, we know that life is hard. So part of my job, I believe, is to educate them about all sorts of things. And we talk about like, you know, how life is full of so many things we have no control over, but we have control over our reaction. The other thing I love about you know, the steps of recovery is that it's all about keeping in the day, 24 hours a day, keeping in the moment. Today's the only day that counts. So I talk often with some of my patients about philosophy. I talk about stoicism. So who are the stoics? And I can go off on a rail here, but I'll keep it brief. So uh, the stoics, they lived 2000 years ago. They were the ancient Romans and Greeks, the most famous stoic, Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, 2000 years ago. The stoics have four underlying principles, wisdom, courage, virtue, and temperance. Those are all in the steps. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, have wisdom, learn, be courageous, show up to a meeting, be, you know, have, uh, you know, have temperance. The bumper sticker, easy does it. Mm. That's temperance. Let it go. You know, virtuous, be honest, be truthful. I mean, those all, those all the steps, Mm -hmm. but they also say the only day that counts is now. The only day we're alive is today, this moment with all four of us on this podcast, we are sharing this experience right now. It's the only thing that counts. Yesterday is dead. Tomorrow does not exist. It's about today. Mm-hmm. So maybe I used all sorts of drugs and substances yesterday. It doesn't matter. It's dead. Mm-hmm. Today's day one. Here's yep. my, my chip, my reward, my 24-hour yep. chip. What a fantastic you know, influencer because we can then feel good about ourselves. It's all about changing your mindset and your mood and finding things that you can feel good about. Mm-hmm. I can't be, you know, I, I have to surrender and my life's unmanageable, but this part is manageable. I can mm-hmm. do this. You know, mm-hmm. what do they always say? Just keep coming, you know, yeah. just show yeah. up. And then there's like-minded people who love you. You know, they embrace you. They don't even know yeah. you, but they embrace oh, yeah. you. Yeah, you, you go into a meeting. Yeah, yeah. go to a meeting, everybody loves you. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you say, you know, a reward. And, and I'm sure our listeners can identify with this and Tiff and, and Skylar, you can too. 
what was it like when you picked up your 24 hour chip? It was a fucking plastic poker chip, right? And yeah. it was the best thing in the world that you could pick up. It was like getting a bar of gold when you got that white chip, you know, and then you got your 30 and then you're, you know, whatever. And, and it, it is, it's a reward system that makes us feel good and keeps, you know, kind of gets us ma our lives manageable. Jeff, I want to talk about the second part of the step and girls, ladies, I don't know how you want me to call you, but please step <laughs> in because, um, uh, a manageability, this is a big part of the second step because the unmanageability part is, um, to some people, and I'm sure Jeff, you, you work some higher end clientele, some, you know, whatever middle class, whatever you work with the whole spectrum of clientele, the higher end clientele, or even just the people who are more successful. Well, my job is going good. Um, my life is going good. You know, everything, you know, I'm, I'm making six figures and, and I drive around this very fancy car and I have a beautiful house that they can't see their life unmanageable. But how's the relationship with your wife, with your kids? Do you scream at the guy when he doesn't have your, your coffee ready in time? You know, if, if he forgets to put cheese on your sandwich or you're kicking the fucking door in, you know, walking out the door, you know, that's an unmanageable part. What's your, what, what's your take on unmanageability, on unmanageable? Yeah. It's a great, it's a great question because we, when things are manageable, we don't really see the problem. And quite frankly, if they're managing, if you're managing, maybe it's not a problem. But when it becomes unmanageable, then, you know, with sort of tipping the, you know, it's a tipping point changes. And I think unmanageability is sometimes an internal process. You know, you can have all the trappings of, of wealth and success and fame, but if you feel terrible about yourself, then, you know, people would trade that off in a heartbeat. So, you know, we forget that there are certain things in life you can't buy. You can't buy self-worth. You can't buy confidence. You can't mm -hmm. buy personal satisfaction. And what's the expression? You can't buy happiness. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, so that's that takes hard work. And we were just talking earlier about like you know how do you, you the, the harder things usually there's a bigger reward. So, uh, but everything's relative. So for the person who can't get dressed, taking getting dressed and taking the trash to the curb, that's a, that's a minimal success. And then you build upon that. You know when I see patients. I'm sort of old school in a lot of ways. I always tell them, make your bed every day. Mm -hmm. That's a minimal success. Mm -hmm. And if you had a terrible day, you come home, at least you have a nicely made bed. There's a book and called Make Your small Bed. Victories, small victories. Yeah, victory. that's right. Mm -hmm. Avril William McRaven, Lessons Learned by Navy SEAL. Yes, the, uh, that's it. Well, and yeah, they yeah. start with that in treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. Every single day. Yeah. And, and then and you have rituals and you have rules. So, for example, your life's unmanageable. You don't eat properly. Where'd I leave my car? The house is a mess. There's no routine. There's no time frame. There's mm. no nothing. When people start getting their lives more manageable, what do they do? They set the alarm. They get at the same time every day, even if they don't have to go to work. They start exercising. They start because taking pride in themselves. Yeah. They make sure they're out of the house at a certain time. And, you know, we were talking earlier about how, like, the 24-hour chip is a reward system. So, we could go to meetings and be rewarded that way by developing healthy relationships, or we can try to get our brains to get the reward in unhealthy ways, the drugs, the substances, mm -hmm. wasting time playing, you know, video games and uh, social, you know, social media is a, is a blessing and a curse. So many people are addicted to it because every time someone likes something you put, you get a little chemical blip in your brain. You know, the, the small levels of endorphins and dopamine gives you pleasure which is why so many young kids, particularly, you know, teenage girls and boys feel so upset about things because, you know, they get bullied and so on. But, you know, when we think about how things are unmanageable, that's where you start having routines and you start having, uh, you know, practicing healthy behaviors. So one of my comments I often say to patients, I'll say, listen, you want to get well, you're going to have to do it. I said, I'll get you there, but you got to do the work. So they said, well, what do you mean? So uh, I say, here's what I mean. You can't hire someone to do push-ups for you. You know, <laughs> right. I can show you how to do them and I can show you form and I can ask you to do them. But at the end of the day, you got to do them. Yeah. And, you know, but if you are motivated, there's no reason why you can't succeed. Because I believe, I truly believe that we are capable of amazing things. You know, we only retain, we only use like, 11% of our brains, you know, we have so much more capability. So if you really want to get well, you can do everything. And, you know, just follow the, you know, follow the program, follow mm -hmm. the steps, get a sponsor, 
you know, and also you know, rely upon your gut feeling and mm-hmm. uh, and then have balance in your life. I mean, there's a whole range of things, but when things are unmanageable, that's when you get exhausted just trying to like function. And if you start saying like, I'm burnt out all the time because I have all these lies and I'm manipulating and I feel terrible. You got to come to terms with that. At a certain point in time, you got to come to terms with that. Now, some people don't, you know. You know, um, when you talked about the unmanageability part, there was years of my life where, I mean, I was making, you know, six-figure income and my life was definitely unmanageable now that I look back at it. Um, because I still was managing my disease, meaning I was constantly Mm. looking for drugs and alcohol, you know, it controlled every facet of my life. Um, I, I, um, I was very impulsive with my money. I wasn't paying my bills, even though I had money, I was doing all sorts of, I was canceling appointments. I was not showing up on time. I didn't set the alarm. Like you talked about Jeff. Mm. You know, there were so many things um, that led for me to that, that, you know, I, I've had that idea in my mind that I couldn't be an alcoholic or an addict because I still had the money, the car, the house, you know, I was, you know, a single mom doing these things, but my life was definitely unmanageable now that I look back at it, you know, and then I lost all those things. I lost them all. I ended up losing them all anyway. So, um, definitely my life was unmanageable, even though on the outside, it looked like it was not, I was definitely, uh, uh in a state of crisis. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we have to hit bottom for us to come mm-hmm. to terms with that. You know, that's, that's the wake up call. Oh my God, look what has happened. Mm-hmm. I lost these things, the relationships, the DUI, the job, et cetera. And then we have to, you know, face it. So sometimes, you know, of course we don't want people to hit bottom all the time because that could be death, but yeah. we want to raise the bottom. Yeah. Raise the bottom. That's a big, that's a big deal. Like that's what shows like this are for is to raise that bottom for other people. So they don't get to the point that we were at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And with the unmanageability too, um, I think, I believe the NA literature talks about how it's like, there's two different kinds. I mean, like there's the the external, which unmanageability, like you said, losing things, but there's the internal one too. And if you didn't lose anything, that's okay. Cause like, you know, I I've run into clients and alumni where they, they haven't lost things and stuff but how they feel about themselves is so bad, you know, Mm -hmm. and how they think, you know, like how they treat people. So those things matter too. So, I mean, like, I think you're right. Tiff. like when we don't lose everything and it looks manageable on the outside, that external, it discount the inside that unmanageable we feel inside, you know, and that's so important because some mental illness, like for me, that, that, that was huge. That was a huge piece I had to add in there. Yeah. Well, let's, let's take some of these movie stars, for example, River Phoenix, Robin Williams, um, who else? Uh, some exactly. uh, well, you know, all Bourdain, these guys, I mean, right? Think of the people with, with wealth and fame, yeah. and they yeah. had everything, and yeah. they took their lives, or they yeah. ended up dying of drugs. Anthony yeah. Bourdain, Kate Spade, yes. Robin Williams, yes. just recently in the last couple of years, and you know, yeah. they were all amazing people, yeah. with remarkable talent, and they were just unhappy. The money didn't make any difference. No nope. fame didn't make any difference. Their nope. success, they were unhappy. You can't buy that. So yeah. one of the things we also know is that people who are truly happy are people who are satisfied with what they have. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, if you look at the Forbes 500 wealthiest people in the world, the guy who's number 24, he's not happy because he wants to be <laughs> number 20. Right. You know, the guy who's five, he, the billionaires, he's not happy. He wants to be number two. Yeah. The guy who's two is not happy. He wants to be number one. They have more than they could ever imagine having, and they're not happy. It's the paradox, like step one. Yes. Yeah. So if I'm happy with what I have, I'm happy. I can never lose. If I yep. live modestly and I live within my means and I'm happy with everything I have, yep. money will not make me happy because yep. I'm satisfied. Yep. And what's the best type of satisfaction? Internal. Internal. Yes. Here, yeah. Here. That's yes. the best. Yes. You can't buy Feeling that stuff. It. No yes. one lies on their deathbed saying, I'm so happy I bought those boots on sale. <laughs> well you might jeff i know i'm not shopping yeah, yeah. Real, real quick guys stepped um in this article and there's a lot of good things in this article i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to you guys again um inside step one by jeff j it's um it's from hazelton by uh, hazelton betty ford you can find it on their website um but it says step one and it's this kind of ties into what we were just talking about step one is a key that unlocks our jail cells yeah right 
Mm. If we if we admit we're powerless over alcohol in our lives and become a manager, we don't want to take our lives anymore. We don't want to drink and drug. We don't want to isolate. We don't want to be that that person who we who we never intended to be. You know, we can get out of that jail cell and be who we want. That's if you know. That's if we admit that we're powerless over alcohol and our lives become unmanageable. Got another question here for you, Jess. I, I know we're going on, but this is a good show. Um, if uh, if we want to, th this is this is the uh, this is, I guess, the solution to step one or, 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 or the, the, the help part of step one. If we want to get better, we have to get honest. Yes. What's everybody's thoughts on that? What's, uh, Jeff, for the clinical side yeah. of that? So, you know, honesty, sometimes it's hard to be honest to yourself. Mm. So, uh, because, you, you know, you're, you're honest, you know, you, you end up having to come to terms with this and this stuff feels bad. It's painful, but you have to embrace that because to grow, and to grow more exponentially, you got to do the painful things. So, you know, I go to the gym once a month. It's easy. No payoff. I go to the gym five or six times a week. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Payoff. Mm -hmm. You want to get well, you got to do the work. And mm -hmm. that's the part where you have a choice. So when we say that, you know, I'm powerless. I'm powerless over some of these things, but I'm not powerless over getting well. So I always tell people, this is highly treatable. This is highly treatable and you can learn from this experience and, and being honest and having painful things in your life can be really, you know, take, you know, take your energy away and be sort of knock the wind out of your sails, but it's a gift. It's a gift because if you can deal with your suffering, you can grow. Mm. And one of the things I always say is that the people who get blindsided in life are the ones who think that life is easy. If you think life is hard, something bad happens you really don't get so disappointed. So someone once said like, what's the best meal I ever had? And everyone's naming fancy restaurants. <laughs> this place in New York City, place in downtown Boston. You know what I said? Abe and Louie's? I was, yeah, <laughs> it's not a bad place. So, bad place. <laughs> uh, I said the best meal I ever had, I was 21 years old. I was stuck on a train going from Istanbul to Venice. I didn't eat in two days. Someone gave me a sandwich, mm. cheese. Wow. That was the best meal I ever had. Because wow. I had deprivation. It was the yeah. best meal. Yeah. So everything becomes relative. So mm. when we think about, you know, dealing with painful things, it's, you know, we have to forgive ourselves too. And there's always, I would say, you know, one of my mantras, it could be worse. You know, so I feel bad about something. Believe me, there's someone who probably feels worse. You know, someone who uh, you know, was in a car accident and their infant got killed, you know, mm. And I feel bad because I got fired from a job. I don't know. That guy, I think, has it much worse. Right. So it gives you perspective on things. Yeah. So uh, there was a great quote from um, from James Stockdale, who was a admiral in the in the Navy, got shot down over Vietnam, spent seven years in the Hanoi Hilton POW. <laughs> and he said, you know, I never have a bad day when I'm in a room with the doorknob. So, uh, <laughs> right. Like that. Wow. So, That's uh, so true. And we complain, oh, I'm stuck in traffic. This guy was yeah. seven right. years in a Vietnamese POW camp, chained for two years, tortured every day. You know, that guy's a hero. And yeah. I'm complaining because yeah. my latte is not hot enough. I know. I know. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. So it's true. Getting honest for me, Ed, was uh, such a healing moment. Um, like I said, I, I, I had a real, last week we talked about this, I was ashamed. I um, was humiliated. We talked about that word a lot, humiliated. But when I said out loud to someone else or got honest that, because I knew this internally, but I, I had to say and admit that I was a piece of shit mother and I couldn't stand myself. And when I said that and released that, it was such a big deal. I had to get honest about that stuff, you know, and I didn't want to be that anymore and getting honest and, and accepting that pain and the things that I had done, um, really helped my surrender and, and, and honesty was the key to doing that. And, and it was something I already knew it wasn't a secret, you know, uh, I, I it may not have looked like it, but I knew that I was, and mm. I had to admit that and, and, and getting honest courage. about that really helped. That took so much courage, Tiffany, and the ability to say that. You know what happened? You became a better mother that yes. moment. Mm -hmm. The moment you that, said that. I could yeah. sleep better. I could sleep better just by mm -hmm. saying that out loud. Yeah. You know? yeah. There's something magical. I was just, there was something magical about expressing, you know, these 
painful things that yes. hurt, the things you're ashamed of, the things that you know, that are bad that we've done, and we say there's something magical when you say it. You get it off your chest. You get it mm -hmm. out. It's, yeah. it's so like rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Sky, what's your what's your thoughts on um, getting honest? Well, so I'm a visual learner. Um, I always envision things. And the way I look about addiction, I think it's like somewhere's dark. Like I'm sitting there, fetal position, knees to my chest, like rocking, like waiting. You know, like that's addiction to me. And when I get honest and when I share about where I'm at or what I'm feeling, it's like poking little beams of light in. And the more honest I get, the brighter it gets, mm. the brighter it gets, yes. the more it conquers that darkness. Because mm -hmm. for me, that's what addiction is. It's dark mm. you know, yeah and it's lonely and it's scary and then i get honest and i always think well why did i lie in the first place well i learned growing up like in kindergarten when i cheated on a test already in kindergarten yes um <laughs> you know because i was scared to get in trouble that's why because i didn't study yeah. so i lied you know they're scared to get in trouble and then like because yeah. we're taught like we have to lie to cover it but this is something we actually can be honest about and get better you know what i mean yes yeah and i always think about the honesty too like I say, I say this all the time. Like you can't walk in the forest three, three miles and only walk two out. Like it, it you just have yeah. to do the work. Like yeah. you have to, you know what I mean? Like put some, something into this and, um, yeah. you know, you, you get in what you put out, you know, there was, oh, meetings are terrible. Like you just get high there meet connects. Yeah. If that's what you're going to look for. I mean, if you're yeah. going there to yeah. have sex with somebody, you can yeah. do that too. If you're going there to get, get recovery. You can get recovery too. Yeah. You know, it's like whatever you put in, you can get out. And yeah. I think that in recovery, I've really learned about honesty and how it isn't a bad thing and how, you know, like I, I can be honest. And even when it's wrong, yeah, you know, I really messed up. I should have called you yesterday and I didn't. I'm sorry. Like I can own that. I can be honest that I was wrong. And like, you know, then he he actually trusts me more because of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's well, like, I don't know if you ever yeah. did this, but, you know, just by saying, you know, I, I, I would lie saying I was at Walmart when I really was at Target mm. just because why? Yeah. <laughs> just because it's the difference, yeah. you know, that was my impulse to lie, you know, you, you uh, so but getting honest is real yeah. healthy. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, there are some people who, who have a white lie. So, you know, they get a little pass on that. So someone once said to me, uh, you know, what's a white lie? So, you know, Ed, when I said, so good to see you. <laughs> it was really amazing to see me, but you kind of keep it. Is like, just, some things are just social <laughs> norms. Some things are just social norms and we're taught it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Guys, um, the, the end of this article, again, the article is um, Inside Step One um, through Hazleton by Jeff Jay. This this sums everything up, guys, and, and we'll get a quick go around and then we can finish this up. Um, the flip side of the coin we call acceptance is something called surrender. We have to stop fighting the battle. There is a way to beat this thing, but paradoxically, it is not by fighting it head on. Mm. Right? How true mm -hmm. is that? Yeah, like, very true. All we have to do is just surrender. We don't have to. We don't have to go head to head battle. We don't have to punch it out. We don't have to grab somebody, put them in a headlock, or take them down, or you know, show them I have more money, or I have a better car, or I have a, a better what, whatever it is, a better husband. Um, it's just that we have to surrender, and once we surrender, we surrender to win. And that's what step one is about. You guys listened to that last last week. It, it just it ties in, you know, kind of step one is surrender to win. And and he, he put this so perfectly. It's, it's the paradox, the ability yeah. to sort of let go. You gain ability you to take control of other things. That's yeah. the paradox. And, you know, if you're not, I mean, some of us tend to be competitive person. You know, that's me. You know, I'm always trying to, like, be competitive with myself, better myself. You know, run faster, run longer, et cetera, et cetera. But the, but if you're not, if you don't compete in some arenas, you always win because you have to decide what's the prize. Mm. The prize is self worth. You know, now I don't have to be better than that guy. I got to be the best person I can be. Yeah. So you know, it's really about picking your spots. You know, there are times that you can behave a particular way. It's appropriate. Other times you can't. You know, so. But I, but I think it's the, you know, what that comment, you know, the statement was so, so apropos because the ability to sort of grow is mm -hmm. about bettering yourself and surrendering and being honest. And then you have the ability to sort of like, you know, you can embrace everything because you're not living this life. You know, we were talking earlier about, about dishonesty and versus honesty. For every lie you tell, you have to tell 16 other lies. So mm -hmm. we did this research about this. Wow. If you just say, hey, I screwed up, I'm sorry. It's done. Mm -hmm. And 
you let go. They can forgive you or they mm -hmm. cannot forgive you. Mm -hmm. You have no control over that. But that's that's surrendering. Mm -hmm. And I want to make a point about that. If if you see anybody in the news and, and this think about this, uh, some of the scandals in baseball. Um, what, what's his name? Yeah, Bill I don't Clinton. Know, whatever. Yeah, Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah Bill Clinton. Always worse. Yeah. So if if you think about it, if he just said, yeah, I did it, it would all go away. Yeah, I did it because it would be nothing to report on. He wouldn't be, he wouldn't, they wouldn't try to catch him in lies. They wouldn't, you know, be interviewing the girl, the, this one, the, that the one. <laughs> yeah. It just stops right there. So if you, if you just admit and you just say that, you know, you surrender, you're done. There's no more lying to be done. You know, you don't have to keep going. Like you said, the 16 lies that come after because you have to cover up your lies for your lies, you know? So, so Bill, you know? Bill Clinton lost his, his law license, not because of the, Monica Lewinsky affair is because he lied. That's mm -hmm. what he lost. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, Brene Brown talks lie. about that. Like a moment of uncomfortability can save so much resentment. Like, like you know what I mean? So it's just like that moment of uncomfortability. We get through that. Um, yeah. yes. Jeff, I wanted to ask you real quick before we, we end. Um, when you're with clients clinically, right? Like, what's the, the best way you help them like see that paradox? Like, is there something you question. say, a method or anything, you know, that works best to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, I tell stories sometimes. And I'll tell different stories. I say, oh, let me tell you a story about somebody. And sometimes they're like people I know. Sometimes they're about Ed. So uh, I know this guy who has a bathrobe on a podcast. <laughs> Good about it. So, uh, so but, but, but what, you know, but I talk to them about how, you know, it's really important to be able to like be willing to feel pain that, you got to embrace it. You know, life is hard. And I tell them, practice hard things. Don't practice easy things. Mm. Practice hard things. And the ability to practice hard things allows you each day you get better. So, you know, I have, so I tell stories. So one of the stories, my 26-year-old son, Austin, who, who sort of, you know, I would say the apple doesn't fall far, far from the, fall <laughs> far from the tree. So he says to me, uh, dad, New Year's Eve day is coming up. Let's go to South Boston. Let's jump in the ocean. You want to do the polar plunge? Sure, let's do it. So we go and we do it. And uh, it was cold. And we both agreed it was hard. But all day long, how do we feel? Fantastic. Yes. Why? Yes. Because it's hard. It's yes. painful. You push. You want to grow? You got to get some pain. So I, and I do the analogy of uh, you take a piece Ooh. of art, a clay pot, you throw it in a kiln, 2,000 degrees. One or two things happen. It's either going to come out as a beautiful object of art because it's been transformed into a lump of clay with glaze and it's art. Or it's going to blow up because there's air bubbles in the clay and it gets destroyed. Mm. That's life. Mm -hmm. You're going to end up one way or the other. At the end of our life, what happens? We all die. So let's mm -hmm. embrace it. Let's live every day. So and I, and I give them homework and I push them and I say to them things like, so if you found out you had a year left to live. What would you change? Mm. Ideally, hopefully people don't change too much. Like, oh, I'm pretty happy with my life. Maybe I change yeah. this or work less, whatever. I get a bathrobe like Ed. But, uh, uh -huh. but there are I need, things I need my that cigar maybe now. <laughs> yeah. I need cigar, right? Yeah. Um, guys, this was a great show. Jeff, uh, did you have another question? No, I was just going to, you, you talked about acceptance. And there's a, 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 a paragraph in the big book that, um, one of my counselors told me to read, which changed my life. It's on page 417. And it says, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I found some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed mm -hmm. to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitude. Mm -hmm. Acceptance, um, huh? Yeah, acceptance. And and I think it was either you or Sky said some one thing to me one time and I wrote it down. It says you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you have to go through it. Mm, very so. true. 
Yeah. Sounds like a Skylar comment. Acceptance <laughs> was the answer to all my problems. It is. It is. So. Well, I accept that this podcast has been really good. I accept awesome. that Jeff, I, I am uh, a, a true fan of yours. Um, you, you know that, but I'm, I, you're a dear friend to me. So thank, thank you for you, coming on the show. We really appreciate it. I hope this clears up a little bit about what um, the clinical part of step one is. Um, if you guys have any more questions, please comment below, um, you know, let us know how the show was, um, you know, what, what, what questions you have for Jeff. If you do want to get a hold of Jeff, um, you know, comment below and we'll, we'll get you, we'll get a, we'll get a word out to Jeff and we'll, we'll get him. Jeff is an amazing clinician. If you do want to see him, um, I know he's, he's very tight on time, but I'm sure, uh, he'll, he'll fit some of the friends of recovery in there, but guys, um, thank you so much, ladies, Tiffany sky, um, great podcast again. Um, keep throwing those comments in there, everybody. Make sure you subscribe. That's really important. Um, send us an email, help at Friends of Recovery Podcast. Let us know if you want to be a guest. Let us know some topics you want to talk about that um, that work around all the steps that we're going through this year. And uh, we'll we'll make sure we get back to you. So on that, you guys. Feel better, Ed. Feel better, Ed. Stay thank safe. you, guys. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Happy New Year. Trooper. I, 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 I got this whole show in. So but on that, guys, <laughs> I want to make it. <clears throat> Stay sober, everybody. This concludes this episode of Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast. Follow us on Facebook for past shows and updates and enjoy free access to twice daily support meetings. Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.